0: I'm going to be looking this morning at two passages, Romans 5.19 and Genesis 3.14 and 15. As we look at these passages, children, you are dismissed for children's church, kindergarten through second grade. Romans 5.19 reads these words, "...for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous." I'll turn to the beginning of Genesis, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Psalm 19 tells us, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. It was my first year of marriage. Stephanie and I were newlyweds and... We had bought our first townhome. We liked the townhome option because we didn't have to do a lot of upkeep uh, with the exterior, but we just had to worry about the interior, and it was a brand new townhome. Well, lo and behold, within six months, our guest bathroom had a major leak in the toilet. And me being a newlywed husband, I wanted to show my newlywed wife that I knew exactly what to do. So I end up going, and I said, Stephanie, I, I got this under control. Everything's under control. Don't worry about it. We can ha- I can handle this. This is a, an easy solution, easy problem to fix. So six hours later, after going two trips to Lowe's and, and watching multiple YouTube videos, I found myself hitting the toilet because I was frustrated. I couldn't fix the problem, and I made matters worse It was really funny because hours went by and Stephanie would come in every hour and just check on me. Hey, honey, is everything okay? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I Really, I got this. But she realized after that situation that I wasn't Handyman Dan. Uh, But I simply did not have a lot of skills in fixing toilets. You see, I, at that time, I needed someone to fix the problem because I couldn't fix it. I didn't have the proper tools, and I didn't have the proper training to fix it. I needed somebody who knew what they were doing, who could come in. And after six hours of making the problem worse, I finally called the plumber, and he came in and fixed it within about five minutes. It's a very humbling experience for me that day. I share this story with you because as we look at the covenant of grace, you and I are a lot like me trying to fix toilets that day there's a big problem and we can't fix it we need to call on somebody who can and that somebody is Jesus Christ and that's what the covenant of grace is all about last week I introduced a sermon series on covenant theology to talk about how you can interpret the scriptures through this lens of God's covenants that he made with his people Covenant theology provides for us a great framework in how to read the Bible, how to understand the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. So for these seven weeks, we're going to talk about God's covenant relationships that he made with certain individuals in the Old Testament. The word covenant is a really big deal throughout the Bible. And you could read the Bible once and understand that this is a major theme throughout Scripture. Uh, 280 times is the word covenant used even throughout the Old Testament. A covenant is a relationship that God establishes with his people, and he guarantees his promises by his word. A covenant is a, an agreement between two parties, and there are stipulations that are made between those parties. And there are consequences to breaking the stipulations or to keeping those stipulations. And as you journey through the Old Testament, you will find that there are seven major covenants that God made with the patriarchs, with his people. He made two with Adam, and he made one with Noah, with Moses, with Abraham, and with David. And then at the end, he makes one, the Father with the Son, Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about the first covenant that God made with Adam. It's called the covenant of life and the covenant of works. It's called a covenant of life because God, he made this promise and this agreement with the first human being of all time, Adam. And he said, Adam, I've given you this beautiful garden. I've given you this beautiful babe, Eve. I've given you this, this land, and I want you to take care of it. All the trees around you, all the animals are under your control, and you can eat whatever you see. Except you can't eat from this one forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from that tree, then there will be major consequences. Sin will enter the world and death will enter this world. However, if you continue doing what I've asked you to do, we'll continue this wonderful relationship. And by the way, you see that tree of life? That's a great visual reminder that you have everlasting life with me. The covenant of life is also called the covenant of works because Adam's works determined whether or not he would keep this agreement with the Lord. He had to obey God, and if he disobeyed God, then that covenant that God made with him would have been broken. Well, most of us know what happened at the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve, they broke the covenant of life when they ate from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the moment they ate from that tree, everything changed for them. Their relationships got more difficult with each other. Their relationship with work became a stress. And death entered the world. Their condition went from being holy and happy to sinful and miserable. It was awful for that time in history. Since Adam and Eve did that... Their sin then spread throughout the rest of humankind. And so you and I are now dealing with coronaviruses. You and I are now dealing with cancer. You and I are dealing with heartache and relationships and drama and toil and tribulations. We're dealing with war. We're dealing with all kinds of strife. Just the hard parts of this world are a direct result from what Adam and Eve did thousands of years ago when they broke the covenant of life. Romans 5.19, it, it, it says it this way, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. As I read this verse this week, I thought about the concept of Adam and Eve being our diplomats. You know what a diplomat is? A diplomat is someone who represents a nation when they talk to other national leaders. A diplomat could live or serve at the the U.S. Embassy in different countries. They could be one of our leaders who goes and and interacts with different national leaders to represent us. So whenever a diplomat speaks to a foreign leader, he or she is representing the rest of the United States citizens. Whenever they make a decision, their decision will affect you and me. I was looking this week at some of the the mistakes that diplomats have made over the years. And some of you may remember back in 1992 when President Bush was president, he went on a visit to Australia. And when he got to Australia, he started doing one of these. He's like, hey, everybody, hey, peace, hey, peace. He was sewing up the peace sign, because that's what peace means, right? Or victory for V. Well, to the Aussies, it was as if he was flipping them off. And they all were offended by that, saying, oh, What is President Bush doing? He's flipping us off. Well, Bush realized what he had done, and he immediately apologized and said, I'm so sorry, I didn't realize the the cultural difference here. First Lady Michelle Obama, there was a time when she went to visit Queen Elizabeth, and she was doing a photo op with Queen Elizabeth, and after shaking Queen Elizabeth's hand, she put her arm around Queen Elizabeth for a picture. You don't do that with the queen. Touching the queen other than a handshake is forbidden. But the queen was really gracious and put her arm around Michelle Obama just for a brief moment. They took the picture and then of course the, the British media went nuts saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe the first lady did this. Well, not all royalty is perfect because there's also an example of the Duke of Edinburgh where he went on a trip to see the Australian tribe of the Aborigines and as the duke approached them. He asked if they still threw spears at each other. In this tribe, they were gracious in their response, and they said, no, we don't throw spears at each other anymore. When those diplomats made those kind of mistakes, it really (laughs) represented the rest of their nation. As I thought about diplomats and mistakes, of course, these were honest mistakes that we all could have made. Adam and Eve, they made a grave mistake, serving as our diplomats before an almighty God. And because they made this mistake, it represented the rest of humankind. And when they made that mistake, that grave sin, it separated us from God. Now, what's amazing about all this is that God could have easily, when Adam and Eve broke the covenant of works and life, he could have easily, easily killed them on the spot. God could have said, I'm going to wipe Adam and Eve off the face of this planet because they broke the one rule I gave them. But what did God do instead? Well, he made them suffer by kicking them out of the garden. He made work harder. He did curse both Adam and Eve. He said, Eve, your childbearing is going to be a lot harder for you. Adam, you're going to be sweating now that you're working and it's going to be a drag some days at work. And he kicked him out, and he also had angels with with swords, flaming swords, to guard Adam and Eve into getting back into the garden. And that symbolized that eternal life had been removed. So, yeah, there were consequences, but yet God still was patient with Adam and Eve. He was patient with them because remember what he did when when Adam uh, discovered he was naked and, and he tried to hide himself? What did God do? He provided Adam clothing. And not only that, but but God didn't wipe them off the face of the planet immediately, but instead he gave them hope. He gave them hope that one day someone from their lineage, from their line would come. And that someone would be the true diplomat, the real representative, the person and the one. Who would keep the covenant of works. Because after all, the covenant of works is still around. God is perfect. He demands perfection. But unfortunately, not one of us can keep that covenant. But yet God said, I'm going to give you, Adam and Eve, hope. That one person from your line will come and he will be perfect. And he will keep the covenant of works for you. And that's what the second part of Romans 5.19 is about. By the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Because Jesus obeyed the covenant of works, many will be made righteous. Did you notice the word many there? Not all. Paul in Romans 5 said, Not everyone will be made righteous before God, but many will. This reminds us that God has a plan for his people. And it's for his people. That not everyone will be his people. Not everyone are his people. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, it says it this way. God having out of his mere good pleasure from all eternity elected some to everlasting life did enter into a covenant of grace To deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer. What this is saying is what I just said. God was patient with Adam and Eve and out of his good pleasure from all eternity, because God is infinite, he's everlasting. He entered into a second covenant with Adam, the covenant of grace. And he did so to deliver Adam and Eve out of that estate of sin and misery and instead to bring them into an estate of salvation by the diplomat, by the mediator, Jesus Christ. The larger catechism said it this way, the covenant of grace was made with Christ as the second Adam, and in him with all the elect as his seed. Notice the word elect there. It's saying there are many who will have hope. Many... Who will be able to restore their relationship with God the Father. Many who will be able to experience eternal life in heaven. But not all. There are many of God's elect people. This is where the story begins in Genesis of the covenant of grace... In the next few weeks, we're going to continue to see how the covenant of grace unfolds from Adam to Noah to Abraham to Moses to David and then to Jesus Christ and you and me today. It's an amazing story of how God wants and desires and initiates a relationship with his people. And you know where it all began? Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is where we first see the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Genesis 3.15 is where we first see Jesus mentioned. But before we look at Genesis 3.15, we need to look at Genesis 3.14. Because after Adam and Eve broke the covenant of works, what did God do? He cursed Adam and Eve and he gave them consequences. And then we know that he cursed the serpent Look what he said in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. That doesn't sound pleasant because it's not. When Satan the serpent tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and they did, Eve and the serpent were friends. Eve said, I like this serpent, he's crafty, he's cunning, Ah, I like what he's saying, I want to be like God, so I'll eat from this tree, and Adam said, yeah, me too. So they were friends with the serpent. Now all of a sudden God said, "Uh uh-uh, I don't want even Adam to be friends with this serpent because he's evil. In fact, I'm going to make life very difficult for this serpent, I'm going to make him crawl around on his belly, and I'm going to make him eat dust. Eating dust is disgusting. Actually, I have no idea. I've never really eaten dust. <laughs> Maybe you have, I don't know. But dust, it's the symbol of abject humiliation. And it will last forever is what God's saying to the serpent. He's saying, Satan, you're going to eat dust the rest of your life. That's a curse. That is a curse. And then he and then he broke off that relationship that Satan had with even Adam. Verse 15, we see Jesus Christ mentioned here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. Right here, God is saying to Satan the serpent, I'm going to create hostility for you. There is going to be tension for you from now on. There's going to be a war. Because of what you've done, you just brought it. Now it's war. War's here. And I'm bringing it to you. And he's saying here, I will put war, hostility between the serpent and who? Eve. Between the serpent's offspring and Eve's offspring. You know what's fascinating? After God cursed the serpent and Adam and Eve, Adam named his wife Eve, which means the mother of all living. Eve would become the mother of an incredible spiritual offspring. And at the same time, there would be another offspring that would be under the dominion, influence, and control of the serpent. Do you want to know why we have war today? Do you want to know why we have talks between Russia and Ukraine and there's tension going on right now? Do you want to know why there's tension with China with the Mena region and the Middle East. Do you want to know why? It all goes back to here. We should never be surprised when war takes place or when drama happens because it happened in Genesis 3.15. And God said from now on there's going to be war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. But guess what? The seed of the woman are the many that Romans 5 was describing. The elect that the Westminster was describing. The seed of the woman are you and me who love Jesus Christ and who are his children. That's who the seed is. And at the same time, there are billions of people that are affiliated with the seed of the serpent. As you go on and read Genesis, you'll find a fascinating storyline between the seed of the serpent And the seed of Eve. And I just want to briefly explain this storyline. This is Genesis 4 through 11. The seed of the serpent, Adam and Eve, who do they have but Cain? And who was Cain? He was a man who was angry at his brother Abel. Angry enough to kill Abel. And then notice what God said to Cain after Cain killed Abel. It was very similar language than he said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. And now you are cursed from the ground. Cain was not from the seed, the spiritual seed of the woman. He was of the spiritual seed of the serpent. Following Cain, you, you learn about another son that Cain ended up having named Enoch. And what did Cain do? But he built this large city... And he named it after his son, Enoch. Why did he do that? It was kind of a slap in the face to God. Cain was saying, you know what, God? We don't need you. I'm going to build this city on behalf of my son because he kind of built it. And look at how powerful we are. And Look at how powerful my son is. Following Enoch, you have this son named Lamech. And Lamech in Genesis 4 said, I have killed a man for wounding me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. What Lamech was saying was, God, I don't need you. I don't need you. I can get away with murder. Look at the power and control I have. Lamech was of the seed of the serpent, not of the seed of the woman. And then after Lamech, we get to the story of Noah after God obliterated the world. And you had Noah and his family. You're thinking, hey, good news here. No more seed of the serpent. Uh Uh-uh. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the oddball out. Ham was from the seed of the serpent. And we know that Ham abused Noah. He took advantage of his father. And when he took advantage of his father, in Genesis 9, God said to Ham, Cursed be Canaan, or Ham, the lowest slaves will will he be to his brothers. That's just Genesis 4 through 10. And right here you see this all play out from Genesis 3.15. The line and seed of the serpent. Is constant and it's still here today. So the billions of non-believers out there and the hundreds that we know in our own communities, they're part of the seed of the serpent. We got to remember that. At the same time, there will be many who will be made righteous because of the seed of the woman. After Adam and Eve had Abel and he was killed by his brother, they had Seth. And Eve said, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. My mom named me Seth because it means granted and appointed. Eve is saying here, God has granted and appointed us Seth. Because now we don't have righteous Abel, but we have Seth. He is granted and appointed by God. Following Seth, we read about Enosh. And it said in Genesis 4.26, at that time men began to call on the name of the Lord. Right here, we see the first revival take place. Where at that time, men and women began to call on the name of the Lord when Enoch was born, the seed of the woman. Following Enoch, you get to another Enoch. Could you imagine naming your child Enoch today? If If you know an Enoch, forgive me. Enoch, another Enoch, he walked with God. And this was one of two people, Enoch and Elijah, who were righteous before God that they didn't have to experience death. They were taken before dying. But Enoch walked with God. He was righteous. Why? Because he was from the seed of the woman, the spiritual seed. And then we get to Noah. Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. This one meaning Noah. Noah Would be from the seed of the woman. And he would be blameless. And next week we're going to learn more about Noah. I bring all this up because. Tension took place. After the covenant of works was broken. And tension is taking place today. And it all goes back to here. The seed of the woman. Versus the seed of the serpent. And any non-believers we know. Are a part of the seed of the serpent. And we need to pray that God will make them a part of the seed of the woman, because he can do it. You know, as the covenant began to unfold after Adam, it then went to Noah and then Abraham. And in Galatians 3, it talked about who the seed was. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Paul is referring to the one seed, Jesus Christ, who would come And he would not only deliver his people from their sin, but he would strike the enemy, Satan. And what I love about the last part of Genesis 3.15 is that God made a promise and a prophecy to the serpent. That the serpent would strike the heel of the seed, but the seed would bruise and strike the head of the serpent. Paul later in Romans 16, 20 said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. You know, this verse gives me so much hope because even though Satan is still around, we know the end. We know that God wins, Satan loses, the end. God wins through the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, who is our true diplomat, mediator, redeemer, representative. And he's the one who has the final victory. He will crush the head of the serpent. Now, yes, Jesus, he defeated Satan when he died. He won the battle, but the war continues on. He hasn't won the war yet, but he is coming, and we all need to be prepared for our great Redeemer to come. I hope he comes and you're in my lifetime, because it could happen. This is all a part of the covenant of grace that God has given us, his people. So what? So what does this all have to do with you and me? I just want to give you four brief things of application. Number one. Just as God was gracious to Adam and Eve right after they broke the covenant of works, so you and I need to be gracious to one another. And this is easier said than done, isn't it? (laughs) Especially when you have somebody that's just nagging at you, that's just pushing your buttons. We all have those people in our lives that just annoy us, that irritate us, that frustrate us, that just nag us, nag at us. What do we do with those people? We show them grace. We're patient with them, just as God is patient with us every single day. So think about those people that annoy you, that are getting under your skin, and be reminded of God's mercy and grace to you and to me. And Maybe that will help you in your daily interactions with them. The second application is is that the condition of the covenant of grace is that of faith. Every covenant has some kind of condition. The condition of of the covenant of works was Adam's works. The condition of the covenant of grace is that of faith. Now faith, faith is not a work. Faith is an instrument that God uses to accomplish his purposes. Just like prayer is an instrument that God uses to accomplish his purposes and sharing our faith to others is an instrument, a way that God uses to accomplish his grander purposes... So faith is the same way. Faith is not a work where we have to put forth effort. No. Faith is an instrument. It's as if an empty hand is reaching out, saying, "Lord, fill me, help me." If you want to be in a relationship with God, you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to know that you're a sinner and you don't have it all together, because the reality is none of us do. But the good news is, is He has it all together. And if you believe in that truth, your life will dramatically change today and for the rest of eternity. So again, the condition of the covenant of grace is faith. And so if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I encourage you, don't let another day go by without trusting in him. Have faith in Jesus Christ. The third thing to apply here is we need to be reminded of how serious this is. Of how serious this curse was to the serpent, and that there is great hostility and war between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. So, anytime you turn on the news and you see the drama and you hear the drama and you wonder why are we still going through all this? Why are we dealing with uh, political and cultural divisions? Why are we dealing with viruses? It all goes back to this, and we're we're going to continue to groan, unfortunately. Until Jesus returns and makes all things new. So be reminded that this is where it all comes from. And be reminded that (laughs) we're a part of that story. But have hope that the story will be over when Jesus comes. Have hope in that. The fourth thing I would say is that there are many who are currently in the seed or in the line of the serpent. Many of those people, you and I know. They could be in your family. They could be in your neighborhood. They could be at your workplace. They could be where you frequently visit, like your kids' soccer games or the the gym where you go and work out. There are millions of people in America who are from the seed of Serpent. There are billions of people in the world. But here's the reality. If we want to see revival take place in our land and in our church and our community, if we want to see more and more people who will be affiliated with the seed of the woman, then we've got to tell them about Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you to begin praying that God will give you divine appointments where you can talk to other people that are non-believers and tell them about this great Redeemer, Jesus Christ so that one day they may be a part of the seed of the woman and no longer a part of the seed of the serpent. A few weeks ago, there was a a pastor in our denomination in the PCA. His name was Frank Barker, and Frank died. Frank Frank was one of our founding fathers of our denomination back in 1973, and I had the privilege of living in Birmingham, Alabama when I was uh, in elementary school. I went to Briarwood Elementary School all through my elementary years. And I got to sit under Frank Barker, who was the pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. Well, Frank, <laughs> he, would, he would admit he wasn't a really good preacher. Uh, there were times where I'd look around and people had fallen asleep. I'm like, man, who's going to fall asleep today? <laughs> Frank's preaching. He, he just wasn't dynamic. I mean, the man was faithful. He loved the Word of God. But, but he would admit he just really wasn't a great preacher. But yet, the church was four or 5,000 people. And we're like, why? I would ask my mom and dad, I said, why is this church so big? This guy's not very good. What's going on? Well, it turned out that at his retirement service, Harry Reeder, who's now the senior pastor there, there was about 4,000 people in this worship center. And Harry asked the congregation or those people, he said, okay, if you have been at, Frank, at Frank's house, please stand. 80% of those people stood up. They had gone to Frank Barker's house and Barbara Barker's house. His funeral about a month ago or so, apparently his daughter spoke or or said this, that that she believes that over the history of his ministry, Frank shared the gospel to 10,000 people. 10,000 people. A simple guy who just loved Jesus and loved people, and God blessed his ministry abundantly. You know the other way that that he blessed Frank. His wife died three weeks after Frank did. They were married, what, 60 years? And they died around the same time. She died like three weeks ago. I'm thinking to myself, whoa, that's amazing. Why is that amazing? Grace, grace, the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And so again, just as Frank was faithful, just as he loved people and he loved the Lord, I encourage you to be faithful. Love people, love the word of God, and embrace the truth that you're a part of the seed of the woman and not a part of the seed of the serpent.